0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the G Three Project podcast. I'm your host Lisa Fields, the founder of the G Three Project, and if you've been listening, you know that we're on a new series, Scandal: How to Get Away with Sexuality, which the titles come from um, the popular shows Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder that airs on Thursday nights on ABC. And they're um, they're well written shows um, put together by Shonda Rhimes' team. Um, and I wanted to use these shows as the basis because what we're seeing now on TV, um, on primetime is a lot of, um, couples from the LGBT community. And, um, last week, if you listened, we talked to actress Morgan Avery McCoy and we explored this idea of gay friendly TV. Um, but we wanted to look at it balanced though, because, you know, People say art depicts life. So, um, of course, shows are going to show a representation of what's a reflection of the culture. So because um, homosexuality is getting more prevalent in the culture, it would make more sense for TV to reflect that. But what the point Morgan was making is that art can dictate the culture and send the culture in a different direction and it kind of normalizes the behavior. And so we want to talk about today, um, is this idea right or wrong? Is homosexuality right or wrong from a biblical standpoint? Um, Because homosexuality is being normalized in the culture, in a lot of churches, it's becoming the norm. Um, but as Christians, it's important to know where we stand on this issue uh, because it's important for this organization to exist, um, to equip you and to be able to defend your position. So we want to be able to equip you and we want you to be able to defend your position, but we want you to be able to defend your position in truth and love. So this week, um, like I said, we're going to talk about, um, whether it is, a sin biblically now if you watch Scandal you know that the vice president or the ex vice president Sally Langston and the chief of staff Cyrus Bean often get into it because Cyrus is a homosexual male and he was married to a man well he was married to a man that's now deceased and then he just got married again to a prostitute but you have to watch the show to see how that flushes out um, and she says what he does is an abomination. And she's supposed to be a Bible-thumping, conservative um, Christian. uh, But she has her own issues that um, obviously points out her own hypocrisy. Uh, But we're not going to go into that. But she, you know, constantly calls what Cyrus doing an abomination and how God will punish him for his evil. And so that's a lot of, in our day, that's the... The fundamental evangelical response but we want to look at it at whether that's the appropriate way to look at the text and if it is um, how do we address it um, in a loving manner Um, and that's going to be coming up we're going to explore this throughout these episodes that are coming up it's important as christians that we understand the various arguments that surround um, this issue in scripture um, there's various arguments on sexuality and how to interpret the text arguments have been raised about, you know, whether or not um, the Bible was talking about male prostitution, whether we've evolved from that understanding of the Bible. The Bible is too old to adequately deal with this problem or um You know, or the Old Testament laws are abolished with the New Testament or Jesus didn't even speak on this issue. Those are things that come up in everyday arguments. So I brought on um, Dr. Preston Sprinkle um, to kind of help help us deal with this issue. Thank you for being on, Preston. Hey, it's
1: good to be here, Lisa. Thanks for having me. (laughs)
0: Um, If you can, you give uh, our listeners just a little bit of background about yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a vice president for uh, Eternity Bible College's Boise extension site. Um, Eternity, well, the college was started <laughs> 11 years ago by Francis Chan in California, and now we're opening up an extension site in Boise, Idaho. Um, and so that's my, uh, I guess, my full-time job. Um, I'm also a writer and i uh, written several books um, on, I tend to, I don't know why, but I tend to write on topics that are hot topics that people debate and argue over <laughs> so i've written books on uh hell violence and then now i have a couple books coming out on homosexuality um and uh yeah that's uh that's the gist of it. i've been teaching uh at a college level for about eight years at three different schools and uh married i got four kids and uh just trying to stay alive
0: <laughs> that's awesome yeah. So, um, when you hear people talk about this subject, whether the Bible, there's not a lot of biblical evidence on homosexuality. What, what is your, uh, response?
1: Uh, yeah, a lot, not a lot of biblical. It depends on what you mean by, I guess my, I always try to push back and see what people are trying to get at because you see these kind of, you know, uh, Twitter sized statements thrown around all the time and, and, uh, that, you know, those, those kind of, uh, brief kind of snippy statements really don't, help at all so yeah you'll you'll see things like you know jesus never mentioned it so why are christians all all up in arms over it or the bible hardly even talks about it you know relative to other concerns like helping the poor and and these are all true you know but it's like what does that what does that mean i mean if if we built an ethic around what jesus did and didn't talk about we would have a really weird faith i mean jesus didn't talk a lot of things you know and and the 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 if you just add up the numerical you know (laughs) <laughs> you know, you just add up how many times things are discussed in scripture and built a value statement around that. That, that, that wouldn't really, that, that's not really how you do ethics. You know, I mean, I, I think the, the land of Israel, you just add up how many times the land of Israel is mentioned in the Bible and that would be m- much more than the deity of Christ. You know, does that mean that the land of Israel is more important than the deity of Christ? Well, no, absolutely not. It's just, that's just, that's just not, what you do to build ethics, you know? So it is true that same sex relations are hardly mentioned in the Bible. Um, but you also have, uh, you know, statements about gender, uh, male, female, you have statements about, um, about marriage and, and when same sex relations are mentioned, I, I do think the Bible is, is, is fairly clear about, um, what God, how, how God views those. So, I mean, um, I think we need to, uh, yeah, I think we need to ask really hard questions and not settle for kind of Twitter size, bite size, you know, uh, responses to a very complex question.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would be the hard questions that we need to be asking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that we need to um, I think we do need to ask the fundamental question is, you know, what has the creator who designed humans, gender and sexuality? What has the creator said about how our sexuality um is to function you know Mm -hmm. Um, and i think uh, i think that is really i mean even even if you weren't even landing on any particular view i think we would all agree that logically if there is a creator and if he has given us some sort of direction in his written word okay they just these basic assumptions um that i think it would be a very natural very logical real basic question not a radical question at all but i mean a uh, a basic question to say what has the Creator said about how He has designed us sexual, as sexual beings, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I think that's an important question because some people want to ask different questions that kind of I think throw the discussion in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But that, that that would be the most basic question that I think we should that we should ask.
0: So what has how has the Creator built us, and He built us male and female?
1: Yeah, and in the garden
0: He's basically. Sanctioning marriage between one male and one female.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my basic own response to that question is, you know, yeah, in, in, in the creation account, God has, um, created humans as, uh, either male or female. Um, and, uh, you, you, you know, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, if you read other statements, like in Jesus in Matthew 19 or, you know, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 or Ephesians 5, you know, um, you have, you have other writers in the Bible refer back to the creation account and the creation account itself in Genesis 1 and 2 does affirm that, um, sexuality is to exist between a man and a woman. And you also have statements in Genesis 2 and, and, and in Matthew 19 that, you know, they're supposed to be from different families, if you will. Of course, when it comes to Adam and Eve, that's kind of weird because they're, they didn't come from families, you know. <laughs> but, but you do have them as a model of, you know, therefore men, and um, women, you know, they should leave their family or whatever and, and, and become one flesh. Now, I, I will say this. I, I don't think that Genesis 1 and 2 in and of itself necessarily ends the discussion. You know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, logically, a positive affirmation of opposite sex marriage, okay, or heterosexual marriage, a positive affirmation of heterosexual marriage doesn't in and of itself rule out the possibility that there could be same sex marriage. You know, some people just quote Genesis 1 and 2, close their Bibles, and say, end of discussion. God created Adam and Eve, and that's it, you know, male and female, and say, well, you know, I could say that I love the Los Angeles Dodgers, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't like the San Francisco Giants, even though I actually hate the Giants. But you know, or I, I you know I could say that you know, I'm married to Christine. My wife's name is Christine. I'm married to Christine, and that doesn't logically rule out the possibility that I could also be married to Greta, you know or <laughs> um so i I don't I, I think I want to i you know I encourage evangelical listeners to just be very careful not to. Not to want their conclusion to be so correct that they settle for easy, simple answers. I th- I do think that we do need to consult. Okay, so 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 once we talk about what the Bible says about heterosexual marriage, seems to affirm it, and see, you know, you would seem to think that, you know, opposite sexes are necessary for for marriage. But I would also want to ask the question: Does the Bible mention the possibility of same sex? Uh, relations and what does it say about those? And then we do have to go to, you know, the five or six passages that do address those head on. And, and I think when we do that, we see that it it does forbid all forms of same sex relations.
0: Now, when people say that the Old Testament, we don't like comparing. We don't. We eat pork,
1: um,
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> and all of these things. Do do you think uh, that people need to understand? There's a difference between. Um, um, the laws in the laws of Moses, like there's yeah. different levels.
1: Yeah, that that's actually and, and look, I, I would be the first one to say that there are some strong arguments in favor of the affirming view. Now, I disagree with them. And I think there's stronger arguments, way stronger, for the non-affirming view. Um, but as far as arguments for the affirming view that affirms same-sex relations, um, that one you kind of is a terrible argument. I see. I still see it all the time, and I, I would encourage my you know, even from a you know, if you're if if you believe in same sex relations, you think that God endorses those. I, I would really encourage you not to use the Leviticus argument that you know Leviticus forbids same sex relations, but it also says the only catfish. Therefore, you don't follow. <laughs> that, that's just lot. I mean, if, you, if you're a, a judge in a court of law, you'd be rubbing your eyes thinking, "Is that the best you have?" Like that, <laughs> you know. This just, just a logic teacher would be flipping out if you did. You know, um, we, we have to ask more questions than just, you know, these laws are in a book that have some laws that we don't follow. Therefore, we shouldn't follow that one. Like that doesn't, you know, Leviticus also says, love your neighbors yourself. Does that mean we don't have to do that because it's in Leviticus? It also says, don't steal. Can we steal like crazy because it's in Leviticus and we don't follow, you know, the, the, the logic behind that's ridiculous. So, um, we have to ask the question of which laws in Leviticus are still binding for uh, believers in christ the new covenant believer you know and he, i mean what's interesting is that this the laws against same-sex relations in leviticus eighteen, twenty-two, and 2013 20, um, they occur in the context that's addressing laws against sexual immorality and i mean if you look at all the laws that identify what is sexual immorality we would pretty much follow all of those or at least You know, all but maybe one or two, you know, so I I think that the, you know, I I think that it it kind of the burden of proof rests on those who say that those laws against same sex relations aren't for today. I think that they have to do more work than just say, well, it's in Leviticus, so it's not for today. Well, that's just not that's just not accurate. And. And I don't want to be long winded here, but, you know, the the, the the ultimate test of whether it's still for a believer is if it's repeated in the New. And we do have statements in the New Testament, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, that do uh, very much reiterate what was said in Leviticus. So I, I think it's really an uphill battle to say that the Levitical laws aren't for today because it's in Leviticus.
0: What about those who argue that when it's talking about. Um, you know, forbidding homosexual activity in Corinthians is talking about male prostitution.
1: Yeah, I, you know, um, the reference in first Corinthians is tough. Um, it, you know, Paul lists a bunch of sins in first Corinthians six, uh, uh, nine and 10. And he's just giving kind of. A shotgun of different words there you know he talks about sexual immorality talks about adultery talks about greed by the way Mm -hmm. Um, and he lists uh and and then he he mentions two words which in the greek are malakoi and arsenakotes and um these words are they can be fairly flexible um it's not crystal clear what they mean in and of themselves okay so we have to and and i got to be really really clear what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't know what the words mean. I'm saying we have to do some study to figure out what they mean. Um, but they don't, the words don't clearly mean male prostitution. Uh, that's just not, you know, the, the, the second one, arsenoquites is the first time that this word ever occurs in Greek literature. So, I mean, um, it just, it's, and, and when it occurs after Paul, it just doesn't, it's not used always of male prostitutes. In fact, the word itself just simply means one who sleeps with a male. And it's rather clear. And and few people dispute this, that that Greek word comes directly from Leviticus 2013. That forbids all forms of same sex relations. So here you have Paul kind of creating a word based on two uh, words in the Greek translation of Leviticus 2013 um, and in that verse, in Leviticus 2013, it's, it's not talking about male, male prostitution. So again, it's one of these things. I think the burden of proof would rest on those who say that Paul's referring to male prostitution when he doesn't say male prostitute. <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> many words and phrases he could have used to refer to a male prostitute. He doesn't use that one. He uses a word that simply means one who sleeps with a male based on a verse in the Old Testament that forbids all forms of same-sex relations. So again, this is what I'm talking about. Like the word itself, you know, I think we shouldn't just quote it and think that settles it. But once you study it out and look at the background of the word, it does seem clear that Paul does not have any clear, specific subform of same-sex relations in view, like a man sleeping with a boy or a male prostitute. Um, again, words existed to specify these more narrow forms of same-sex relations, and, and Paul chooses very general words to refer to um male same-sex relations i i I think it's an uphill battle to try and say he has a specific form in view when he doesn't specify that
0: yeah because roman one romans one makes it clear that (laughs) you know it's it clarifies to me corinthians in a sense yeah Yeah. i believe that paul would be consistent in his thinking um so I, i read somewhere in one of your articles you said that all of these things individually all of these arguments individually can seem to be weak, but when you put them together, that's where, um, I guess, the strength in the argument is. It's not just picking, like you said, the milk, Genesis 1 or then Romans 1. You have to collectively present it together.
1: Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're individually weak. I would say that in and of themselves, you know, if you look at all these arguments that support a traditional view... I, I don't think we could rely just on one of those arguments. Um, and I'm trying to – again, I'm trying to approach this topic as fairly as I can. I, I think there's too, too many people that just want to quote a verse here and there and then start screaming at each other and that settles the debate. I, I, I want to I truly listen to the other side. Like I, I've, I've got friends who love Jesus, love the Bible, who disagree with me on this. I, I don't think it's – you know um, I, I think there's different types of people really who hold to a, an affirming view. I think some are, you know, they triumph their desires over, you know, the Bible. And, you know, that's very different than somebody who says, look, I've studied this out and I land on an affirming view. Um, so I do want, I do want to try and be as fair as I can. But, but still, yes, I think that cumulatively, when you look at what the Bible says about sexuality, when you look at what it says about heterosexual marriage, when you, When you see Jesus affirming male and female in marriage in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, when you look at the Jewish context of the first century world, I mean, Judaism unanimously and unambiguously prohibited all forms of same-sex relations, and Christianity was born out of Judaism. And so if Christianity is going to depart from Judaism in their unanimous view, it's going to need to be very clear about that, you know? Mm It doesn't. It seems, it seems to reflect when you read Romans 1, you read 1 Corinthians 6, it seems to simply echo and reflect the the standard Jewish view. No, no Jew would read Paul's words, who Paul's a Jew and Jesus is a Jew. No no Jew would read these words and say, wait a minute, Paul, I don't know. That's pretty radical. Like they would say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's what the Torah says. That's, that's what we believe. There's no, within the first century world, there's, there's nothing really radical about what Paul and, and, um, and other writers are saying so again when you add these up cumulatively then you look at romans one you look at these two greek words in first corinthians and in first timothy one you look at the testimony of the early church you add all this up together and it's like to come up with an affirming view you need to do more than just say you know well we can eat catfish today so you know Levitical laws are no good okay well that's one of, like, 12 arguments, you know? Like, you have to do a lot of work, I think, and overturn the the cumulative case um, that supports a traditional view. And that's what I just don't, you know... Uh, again, I'm not gonna... I, I think there are one or two what I would call good arguments on the affirming side. I, I get A good argument doesn't mean it's correct. It just means it has some evidence to support it. So I would say, yes, that there's, there's some good arguments, you know? Um, the evidence for consensual relations in the first century is pretty slim, okay? So I think conservatives need to consider that um I, I think we need to consider you know um whether or not romans one could apply to monogamous consensual relations i, I think we need to um con- again consider it not say it doesn't um but once you weigh kind of the cumulative evidence for each each view i think that the evidence for the for, uh, the traditional view far outweighs uh, uh, the affirming view yeah. Yeah, I
0: think I think so, too, just from my personal study. Uh, but I do see how other people could um, make that make a um, come to an opposite conclusion. All right. Um,
1: make a case for it. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, uh, Preston, we thank you for your time. Is there anything you want to leave with our listeners on in regards to this subject?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a lot. But uh, I've, I've uh, said enough online. But, um, yeah, I would say. Um, well, this is what I said in a recent blog titled um, "The Sin of Homosexuality," and, and the word "of" is in quotation marks um, because I think that there's truly really two sins here. One is what I would believe, and you believe, and probably some of our listeners too, that that same-sex relations are not um, sanctifiable. I think they are sin before God, and, and uh, those are really can sound really harsh, especially if if you're struggling with that sin or you have loved ones who are wrestling with that. But I also think that, you know, as I talk to a lot of my gay and lesbian friends, um, man, they've been really dehumanized by fellow Christians. And I, and I think that also is a sin. The, the Bible never encourages people to be dehumanized, to be unloved, to be untouched, to be have people that don't empathize with people who are struggling with something that they may not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so So I think that um, yeah, the, the, the issue isn't just solving what the Bible says about same sex relations. It is also modeling the radical one way love of Jesus towards all people. And that's where my camp, my, you know, our camp, our non affirming camp really needs to, I think, step up and, and model love of Christ much better.
0: Amen. I agree. Well, thank you again, Preston, for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Jude 3 Project podcast, and you've definitely helped and added to this discussion. Um, Yeah. So thank
1: you so much. Thanks for having me, Lisa. It was wonderful. All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, you can check out all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can e- even subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. And it's also a link on our website to get to the podcast Um in itunes as well follow us on twitter at jute3project on instagram at jute3project on facebook at facebook.com backslash jute3project um remember to tune in next week as we talk to biologist rashida likely and we discuss um whether science has proven that people are born gay we want to see what science has to talk about what science has to say about this issue um so we could give you a, a well-rounded view Um, When you discuss this issue with others. So remember to tune in next week.